1: What's up, winners? Welcome to the Moran Analytics Podcast, episode number seventy-three, coming to you from the Anchor Loop Studios here in sunny Bradenton, Florida. Today is Tuesday, November twenty-seventh, two thousand eighteen. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, it's another edition of Pat with Pucks with my good buddy Tom Pucks. Let me tell you this too, right at the top, I'm going to save you some time. If you're a Buffalo sports fan, if you like the bills and you like the Sabres and you know what, if you like eighties music too, then this is going to be a good episode for you. If you don't give a shit about the bills and Sabres and you don't really care about eighties music that much, you know what? Don't waste your time. Don't waste the next hour of your life listening to it. Not going to be for you. That's a PSA right there. I'm looking out for my fans. You're only going to want to give us a listen today if you're into Buffalo sports. If you are, and that's your thing, then you've come to the right place. We're going to talk about the Bills. We're going to talk, we're going to break down their victory. A good victory this past Sunday over Jacksonville, 24-21. The Bills approved to 4-7 on the season. The Jacksonville Jaguars, Jesus, I mean, goddamn, what a tire fire they are. You think it's bad being a Buffalo Bills fan sometimes? Try being a Jacksonville fan where everyone and their mother, well, at least everyone and me, thought that they were going to the Super Bowl this year. I mean, worst case, a contender for the Super Bowl they're three and eight. Three and eight. They've lost seven in a row. And that defense that was supposed to be so great, Josh Allen kind of owned them. All right, sure. It was only a three-point win. But you know what? Buffalo dominated much of that afternoon. A lot of it. By the way, that game got offensive coordinator... Nate Hackett fired. It got Blake Bortles benched. So yeah, we're going to talk about that game. We're going to break it down. Talk all aspects of it. We're going to have a nice discussion about Josh Allen. And then we're going to turn our attention to the red hot sizzling Buffalo Sabres. They've won nine in a row Is of this taping. They may never lose a game again. They're just hot. They're playing great. We're going to talk about Eichel. We're going to talk about Darlene. We're gonna talk about some other Saber stuff. And then we're gonna hit on 80s music. The last couple weeks, I've been doing a top 10 from some week in some year of the 80s. This week is the top 10 songs for the weekend ending November 27th, 1982. It's a good list. I instantly remembered all the songs. If you're a fan of the 80s, I think that you will as well. So that's gonna be fun. Going to get to that in a second. Before that though, I'll tell you what, if you've been a fan of the Moranalytics podcast from day one, you'll remember in the early days, and by early days, I mean a couple months ago, most episodes I used to have Moranalytics MVP, Moranalytics LVP, and then a segment called Terrible Tweets that was just so bad that it forced me to read it on the air and then respond to it. That's back today, folks. That's back. In fact, before we proceed with anything else, let's bring it back. Here's a special edition of Terrible Tweets. Terrible Tweets. Tell me I did not just see that. So you'd be hard-pressed to find a bigger Jerry Sullivan fan than myself. For many, many years, when he was a columnist at the Buffalo News, I considered his post-Buffalo Bills game columns appointment reading. I look forward to them more than anything else. And it didn't matter whether I agreed or whether I disagreed with the column. It was just something that I needed to read. I wanted to know Sully's take on the latest Buffalo Bills game or whatever development was going on with the team. I don't say this lightly. He's one of my favorite people in the Buffalo sports media ever. One of the nicest guys. I've had him on this podcast. In fact, not only did I have him on but I had him on for my 50th episode, which to me was a pretty big deal. Having that 50th episode, I wanted to have a pretty big guest and a good interview. And that's exactly what I did. I had Sully on, loved having him on. And I love Jerry Sullivan, but he had one of the worst tweets I've ever seen. And I don't know if he did it on purpose to rile people up. If he did, congratulations, it worked. Because man, he had a... Terrible tweet immediately after the Bills beat Jacksonville on Sunday. He tweeted, and I quote here Bills win 24 21, move to four and seven, assured lower draft pick. Come on. Come on, Sully. That's a ridiculous garbage tweet. You can't possibly suggest that Bills fans should want them to lose right now. Not with the rookie quarterback, not with the rookie franchise quarterback under center. You want to win these games. You want them to learn what it's like to be able to win these close games. You want to pile up some wins so that maybe in the off season, the Bills, you know, they finish with six, seven, maybe even eight wins. Who knows? They go into the off season, potential free agent, wide receivers, offensive linemen. Maybe they want to come here more. If they see the promise that this is a team on the rise, it's not a team in the bottom four and 12, five and 11 going nowhere. Ultimately, sure. It's gonna come down to money and the Bills have plenty of cap room, obviously. But if the money's close, a player almost every time is gonna go to a team where they think they can win. So you wanna win these games. You don't wanna lose so you can have a better draft pick. Not at this point of the season anyway. You gotta be kidding me, man. Gotta be kidding me. There's no, There's no one worth taking for. There's no one in this draft worth losing for. I'd much rather end up at seven and nine and picking 12th, 13th, or maybe even 14th in the draft than winning only four or five games and picking six or seven. I think it's far more important for the Bills to win some games with Josh Allen under center. And to suggest otherwise, it's just lousy, man. It's a lousy take and a lousy tweet. I love Sully, great sports writer, great guy, but that's a terrible tweet. In fact, I put that on the same level as a Skip Bayless, let's troll Twitter type of tweet. Come on, Sully. You're a great dude, one of my favorite guests on this show ever, one of the best sports writers to ever come across Buffalo. You're better than that. Come on, dude. Let's go. Be better. You've been warned, people. I want no part of terrible tweets in my life. None. You put out a terrible tweet, I might call your ass out on this podcast. I don't care. I see something that's bad. I'm going to let you know. I'm going to let the world know. Got to be better than that. No more terrible tweets. So, on that note, let's get down to business. Here's this week's installment of Pat with Pucks, followed immediately by the reemergence of the Moran Analytics Podcast MVP and LVP. Pat with Pucks. Are you a big man? Pop! I'm talking to you. What? You wake up in the morning shop, put on my big boy pants. Look, I'm wearing a belt. I got big boy pants on. <laughs> oh my God, that is funny. Okay, do not worry. All of your questions are about to be answered. Cell phones and pagers off, please. Tone putts, my man. What's going on? Did you enjoy your Thanksgiving and all that fun stuff that comes with it?
0: I did, man. It was, uh,. It
1: wasn't like my first holiday with the with the girlfriend's
0: family, but it was like, you know, it was definitely the first Thanksgiving and the first sort of sit down, you know, kind of thing where I got my grub on, you sure. know, uh, as opposed to just some pizza and stuff at birthday parties. So it was nice, man. It was it was cool. I don't have a, a huge family in the area, so it's uh, it's good to go somewhere. And, uh, you know, there was a little drama, a little drama always helps on Thanksgiving, any holiday, really. Anything with family. We'll take some drama.
1: What kind of drama, man? Exciting drama? Good drama? Drama drama. you probably shouldn't be talking about on a podcast?
0: Who's fucking listening from there anyways? (laughs)
1: Uh, Nah, someone bailed. Someone had a
0: last second bail over a Facebook post and shit. You know, it was all right.
1: That's cool, man. We had a nice Thanksgiving. My wife's family came down, her parents, her sister and husband and their two children. It's the first time that they've been down since we moved here two and a half years ago. So it was nice to have family down here for Thanksgiving. Um, the big thing, though, was my my daughter surprised me. I had no idea that she's coming. She still lives in Buffalo. She's in college. I did not know that she was going to be here. She came up with my wife's family, so that was a really really nice surprise, and it definitely made my Thanksgiving.
0: That's good. I I did. Uh, I saw that she uh, that she surprised you on uh, on Facebook. I didn't, you know, like the post because I I was too caught up on another aspect of it. But I, I, at least I I acknowledged it in one way, shape or form (laughs) by pointing out the fact that on this illustrious occasion, you decided to rock a free fucking t-shirt in the family photo, which I thought was great.
1: Shout out Amherst Alehouse. There it is. So we're clear though. I didn't wear that for Thanksgiving, man. What's the matter with you? I had a nice outfit on for Thanksgiving. I wore that the next day when the family got together at the UTC Mall area in Sarasota. Took some family photos near the big Christmas tree and stuff. That was a lot of fun. So yeah, I rocked my free Amherst Ale House T-shirt there. Cool ass T-shirt, by the way. But no, I didn't wear that shit for Thanksgiving. Stop spreading false rumors about me. I'm. St- I, look the
0: the the picture that represented. The the holiday, you know, the picture that you put on social media to represent the gathering was the day after and you rocked a free T-shirt. That's all I'm saying. All
1: right, dude, listen, I think that we could talk about turkey and T-shirts and what we did over the weekend for this entire podcast. Nobody's going to care. They do care about the Buffalo Bills, though. The Bills come off a bye, play the Jacksonville Jaguars. Both teams come in three and seven. Bills leave on Sunday. Sunday with a 24-20 win victory in a game that, frankly, I feel like Jacksonville beat themselves as much as Buffalo went out and beat them. For me, there was a clear cut. Play of the game. Blake Bortles, who I think was terrible, did throw a nice pass down the sideline to Moncrief, who caught it and appeared to be a touchdown. He was wrestling with Levi Wallace for the ball. Upon review, it was ruled that he was uh, down at that one-half-yard line, which obviously would turn the game around. But anyway, during that scrum, Leonard Fournette came over pretty much from the other side of the field, got into it with Shaq Lawson. They exchanged punches, and they both got ejected. And what a big advantage that turned out to be for Buffalo because Fournette was just absolutely shredding the Bills. He already had 95 yards and two touchdowns on the day. Big advantage for the for the Buffalo Bills, and because of that play and the events that followed it. But more specifically, Fournette getting himself tossed out of the game. We didn't need to. Just a dumb. Stupid thing to do. Do you feel that this was, you know, the saying goes, you know, bad teams find a way to lose? Well, the Jacksonville Jaguars are a bad team right now. They found a way to lose, or they found a way to lose, I should say. Do you feel like they went out there and they beat themselves on Sunday? I do. I think it
0: speaks more to the fact that no matter how good the talent is, you know, up and down your roster, if you're terrible, At quarterback or if you get terrible quarterback play you could lose to anybody and you know and I guess the reason why I kind of switched that from terrible at quarterback to getting terrible quarterback play is last year they didn't get terrible quarterback play somehow some way you know they got pretty competent quarterback play from Bortles and they found a way to make him even worse uh you know one season later and I I don't know that they're as good on defense as they were last year. Uh, I know some of the players are, are the same Ramsey obviously and Calais Campbell but you know some of the some of the other parts around them are not the same and it's just it it really goes to show you how inconsistent it is uh, from one year to the next, you know defensive performance can be and how risky it is to build around a defense you know, without having, uh, at, at least an above average offense. And I think the bills, you know, were, are kind of going down that same path, but they went and did something that Jacksonville didn't do. And that's they, you know, they went and got their quarterback when they're, you know, average to slightly above, maybe in some case people's mind or below in others, uh, average quarterback, uh, and Tyrod Taylor just wasn't good enough. And Jacksonville didn't come to that realization.
1: And now, uh, now they're going to be in the market, I, I would imagine. See, here's the thing about this game for me. Beggars can't be choosers right now. The Buffalo Bills need wins. In any way, a team like this year's Buffalo Bills could get a win, you got to take it. But having said that, this was not a fun game to watch. Very sloppy. Both teams played sloppy on offense at times. And especially, listen, that officiating, Wow. Let me ask you this because you're a high school and youth football official. What are your thoughts on how this game was officiated? And for the record, there were 23 penalties that were accepted. There were more penalties. 23 of them were actually accepted and that totaled 170 yards. And beyond that, numerous long discussions that seemed to kill the flow of the game as much as the flags did themselves. And also, I mean, listen, beyond the flags and and the penalties, way too many, way too many long discussions with the referees. They look confused out there at times. Would you agree?
0: No, that's an excellent way to put it. Um, that they were confused. That's how they looked. And that's a real, real bad look for an officiating crew. You know, long before I, I started to officiate, I, I really just kind of stopped blaming games on officials because i I just you know I, I had kids that got into into sports and that's not how I wanted to you know to raise them i I see it all the time my oh my god my my kids town uh you know their high school uh the parents are are the worst man with uh the officials. I had a ho- hockey game last night. The, the refs had nothing to do with the outcome of that game, and a father's walking away talking about, "Well, when they don't call any slash or this," I'm like, "What the fuck are you talking about, man?" So I don't get down on officials, but you know, I don't sit there with a pen and a piece of paper. But dude, I could have, I could give you a very, very long list that goes just beyond the over officiousness of the crew itself. There were. There were rinky-dink calls, uh, even at the very beginning of the game, to the, the hold on Tremaine Edmonds when the Bills had him backed up inside the five. What the fuck? That the, that was barely even a touch, a grab. I mean, I didn't even see the contact. There was a, there was one similar to that uh, on on Taron Johnson later in the game that was absolutely garbage. Meanwhile, you know Jerry Hughes is getting tackled uh, at times, and it's not getting called. The fucking punt where they let let it play as as if it was a fumble by uh, by McKenzie when the whole stadium and everybody watching the game could clearly see the leg down how did they waste any amount of time needing to go to a, a review on that one and it's a good thing that all turnovers our review, because if the Bills had to waste one on that, that is so incompetent. And McKenzie's leg, knee was down. Shit, his both knees, his leg was down. He was laying on the ground yeah, was when brilliant. the ball came out. That was terrible. And there were other little things uh, along the way. Yes, when they came in and the cameras are on them and they, they're talking, you know, they're discussing the penalties. It's going on for too long. The looks on their faces are not confident at all. And that dude that they have on Gene territory or whatever, that is the biggest waste of airtime when these these networks have former officials on because they never go against the, you know their their crew. I've heard them do it like a couple times on absolutely mundane bullshit, you know, and they never uh, really take them on when they're having just a real lousy day and. It was terrible, terrible officiating. That penalty uh, on the Jags that took away the touchdown on that goal line sequence—that was a terrible call. You could—I mean—that uh, the Jags had just as much beef as 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 the Bills did, if not more.
1: What did you think of Josh Allen? He has 99 yards rushing, most ever by a Bills QB. And by the way, he only ended up with under 100 because he had two kneel downs at the very end of the game. He only went eight of 19 passing, but he did throw for 160 yards in a TD with no interceptions. So what was your assessment of him as a whole coming off the elbow injury?
0: He he looked as good to me as he's looked so far as a quarterback of this football team. I was thrilled with his performance. I thought his ball had great zip. I thought he had great confidence in the pocket, not just the throw to Foster, but standing in the pocket, knowing he was going to get annihilated. That was huge, man. Now you've got to stand in there and take those hits for the internal clock to start to start working. You got to take that hit to know when it's actually going to come. You can't always bail on it. That was absolutely beautiful. There was a timing throw to the sidelines uh, on like a third and, and 15 that, uh, th- that was beautiful and got called back. The throw to Deontay Thompson that was dropped was real nice and he didn't do any stupid shit with the football and he was fabulous with his legs. Hey, if people want to argue that, you know, people are getting too hyped up uh, over an eight completion game, that's fine. I understand.
1: Now you mentioned Robert Foster. It seems like he's starting to develop a little bit of chemistry with him. Hit him on that 75 yard touchdown that you talked about in the first half. That was beautiful. I read that Foster stayed in Buffalo. I don't remember who wrote about it, but that he stayed in Buffalo during a bye week to work with Allen. You feel like maybe the Bills have found a guy that they can count on to be become maybe I don't want to say a starting receiver, but a nice reliable third receiver.
0: Well, it was Chris Brown who wrote it because who the hell else would know that, right? True. Um, yeah, I, I I mean I do like him, and I think he's got what they need. He's got speed, and he's not like just a little guy with speed like McKenzie is. He's got size to go with it. You know, he he played for Dayball at Alabama, and yeah, man, sticking behind. And being the receiver who's there to catch balls to your, you know, the future of your franchise, that's a million-dollar decision right there. I mean, seriously, man. I'm not saying that, you know, look, training camp can roll around next year. They can totally revamp the position. And, you know, Robert Foster becomes one of those guys that, you know, just falls by the wayside once the real talent comes aboard. Or, you know – he could go in and really win a job because, you know, the guy under center who's going to really dictate what sort of career you have as a receiver um, has developed something with you. I'm sorry, man. The first thing I looked at or I thought of when I when I read that same tweet was that's a damn good fucking career move, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a damn good career move right there. That is how you. That is how you become a millionaire. You, st- you stay behind when everybody else bails during the bye week to go party or be at home or whatever. And you develop a a, a relationship with a guy who's probably, you know, if he's successful in this league is is going to be, you know, uh, a six figure or I'm sorry, a, a nine figure type of uh type of earner.
1: Yeah, this is the second game where I really liked Robert Foster this year. Kids coming on. And I agree with everything that you said about Josh Allen. All the takes. I agree with everything you said. There is one more thing that I need to add, though. I'm really worried about the way he plays. I feel like it leaves him vulnerable for more injuries. The way he runs, I mean, he takes guys on head-on or shoulder-on, I should say. Doesn't run out of bounce. He doesn't slide very much. Are you a little concerned going forward that the way he plays is going to leave him far more susceptible to injuries? Than other quarterbacks out there,
0: Bro, I I think they coach it out of him. You know, as he heads into as he heads into year two, right now they know that this season is a is a lost one, at least as far as you know playoff chances go. And they know that he is gaining the respect of his teammates, and he's gaining confidence by doing that. He's got some swagger, uh, you know when he when he does that. I don't think they wanna. I don't think they put the brakes on that quite yet. But I do think as they head into as they head into the off season and beyond, they are going to teach that kid how to get down. But when when yo as and I, I think he'll listen. He seems coachable. It's probably why they like him. You know why they liked him above uh, a guy like Rosen, who they probably saw as defiant or whatever. You know he seems like a coachable kid. So if they if they Start to show them how to get down. I think he'll get down. But when they really gotta have, you know, an extra yard and a half at the at the point of contact on on a third down, I'll I'll take the quarterback who's you know six foot five, two fucking forty, and uh, ain't afraid to initiate it. I'll I'll take it. I'll take it all day, man. That shit's fun. Do you like- he ain't good. He ain't good enough to worry about it yet. <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what, man. He's good enough to worry. Don't forget what he has behind him and what the Bills have had at quarterback besides Josh Allen this year, although Barkley did look good against the Jets. Anyway, another thing about Josh Allen, you said that word swag, man. He clearly has that swag going on. Very emotional dude. When he scored that touchdown, that that run, which was beautiful, by the way, he flexed. He's all into it. You know, fist pumping, enthusiastic on the field, on the sideline, shit like that. Reminds me very, very much of Jim Kelly. I don't know about you, but the enthusiasm and the leadership, and the fact that players seem to be gravitating towards him already—that's a trait that I really, really like about him. Is that something you agree with? Yeah, <laughs> it just is,
0: man. It just is. I give I give the kid a lot of credit. You know that 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 stuff that came out, you know, the night before the draft or whatever, could have really spiraled his early uh, uh, NFL career. And he did not let that happen, man. And he wanted that locker room over
1: and he did it by being the guy that you just said. Let me ask you one more Josh Allen question and then we'll move on to a couple of other things. On Sunday night, I put on my Twitter a question for Buffalo Bills fans asking them to find a quarterback either past or present to compare Josh Allen to physically speaking. And obviously I'm only speaking physically I mean, look, the guy's played, what, six, seven games? He hasn't proven shit in the NFL. So to compare him to great quarterbacks of the past is kind of ridiculous. But I'm talking about the physical skill set that he has right now based on what we've seen from him as a rookie. And I heard some interesting replies. Um, Donovan McNabb was one. I've heard many, Big Ben, some Dante Culpepper. All those are interesting. But one that really caught my attention, I'm not sure who said it, Sorry, I can't give you credit, whoever, if you're out there listening. Somebody said John Elway, and I never thought of that before. I'm like, you know what? And again, John Elway is one of the greatest quarterbacks who's ever lived. I'm not comparing Josh Allen to John Elway in terms of thinking this guy is going to be the next John Elway. But what I'm saying, physically speaking, it does make sense. He's got that cannon arm, just like Elway did. He's got that prototypical big size. And most importantly, just like John Elway I think Allen is an underrated athlete. He moves around that pocket, and when he gets moving forward, he's a lot better than I ever thought he would be. So based on that, do you think a comparison, physically speaking only, to John Elway is that far off base? Uh, No. Uh, You know, when it comes to the physical tools, he
0: will be mentioned with guys that had some of the best physical tools this game has ever seen for the simple fact that he has every possible he checks every possible box you know when it comes to measurables height size hands you know are you arm surprised strength.
1: he's a, did you know he was this athletic because that, that's what surprises me the most there was a point
0: to make that a point <laughs> you know for at least for the people that once you know buffalo became a very you know, highly thought of potential landing spot for him as much, you know, every time someone would be down on him or, you know, cause you, you heard a lot more bad than good leading up to the draft, people would have to balance it usually to make, you know, to just make it not make it sound like they're just killing the kid. And he's got no uh, reason, you, you know, to, to be an NFL quarterback. So it, it, it was oftentimes ba- balanced, obviously with the arm strength, but, very few people would talk about him, even his detractors leading up to the draft, without mentioning the athleticism. But I guess it's one thing to hear it talked about. It's another thing to see a guy who drops back looking like fucking Drew Bledsoe and comes out of there looking like, you know, looking like Cam.
1: Yeah. no, you know, I'm kind of blown away by it. What about Kyle Williams? I mean, I thought he would probably ride off into the sunset last year after being a key part of the team breaking a 17 year playoff drought, but he re-signs. I'm like, all right, cool. He'll be a rotational guy and he'll, you know, maybe be a mentor to someone like Harrison Phillips. But this guy played another great game on Saturday. I think he's been one of the best Bills players on the entire team so far this year. I don't know about you, but are you are you stunned? I'm kind of blown away by it. I didn't see it coming. Blows me away right now.
0: I guess. I guess I'm going to have to wait to see some grades and and maybe some replays. Which Let me I, guess. some Joby, right? Won't watch.
1: Let me guess. Of from course. Joby, of course. Yeah. Look, I
0: don't. I just. I. I. I feel like Kyle. You know, mopped up some. Uh, some pretty good edge uh, pressure uh, today. I, I mean, yes, he had he had good numbers, and yes, he's been good. He's the kind of guy who's not going to walk away. You know, a year too late. I, I just. I just so i'm not surprised i by already it, thought he but was. i don't know i don't know how good he's been this year I, I think he's been everything that the bills could could ask him to be in terms of part of the rotation I, I i just i'm stopping short of dominant i think this team has been dominant on the edges and i think they've been steady up the middle and um you know and any any stats that are being you know racked up up the middle are are a product of what's been a very, very strong, uh, season on, on the outside of that, uh, the line well, That I, defensive bench. I'll four tell feet. you, I'll tell I mean, you this much, feet. dude,
1: yeah. dude, I'll tell you this much. This may have been the year, as you said, where I thought maybe he stayed one year too long, but clearly he hasn't. All right. So let's put a bow on this game. We haven't done this in a few weeks. MVP, LVP, Buffalo beach, Jacksonville. Who you got? Who's your MVP? Who's your LVP?
0: Well, I, I mean I told you, man. For me it was uh this game was about Josh Allen. Yeah, so I, 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 I agree just with you. I, I just for me he's 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 my MVP. It doesn't mean that he was the best uh he was the best player on that football field, but it's enough to take home the uh MVP. What about Hardware the other end analytics podcast? Um <laughs> Man, I <laughs> Ah, oh, the LVP is the is the zebra crew, man. We'll just we'll just leave it there. We have talked about them already, but there weren't any any bills that really disappointed me. You know, I'm sure uh, upon some film study, uh, we'll leave that. To, I'm we'll looking that forward to topic. the film study.
1: This ties into LVP. I want to know what level of responsibility middle linebacker Tremaine Edmonds has in all this because the Buffalo Bills could not stop the run. Jacksonville ran for 174 yards just in the first half, ended up finishing with, I believe, 224. And that's with Fournette not even playing in the fourth quarter. I have no clue in the world why they just didn't keep feeding Carlos Hyde after Fournette went out, whatever. Point being, the run defense was not good. And I want to know what type of responsibility. Maybe he doesn't have as as much as I thought he did, but how much of the Bills' running game was on Sunday falls on the middle linebacker Tremaine Edmonds. That's my question right now. I
0: think you're going to find that the Bills, who I believe feel as though they are at their very best when they're in the nickel. I think they're they their most comfortable, you know, defensive package is one that has Taron Johnson on the field and and, you know, five defensive backs, two backers and and, and four linemen. And I think quite frankly When they got a, 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 you know, a 14-0 lead, they dared Jacksonville to, you know, to run the football down, you know, down 14. And Doug Marone's a guy who's going to take that there. And uh, yeah, there's clearly was some deficient, you know, individual play in there as well. But uh, I think at least as as it started off happening, I think the Bills just got caught thinking that... um, you know, Jacksonville was like any other football team in this league that's going to go out and try to come back from a 14 nothing deficit through the air. And they just got
1: gassed. Miami twice, Jets at home, Detroit at home, New England on the road. Not sure if it's in that order, but those are the football games that the Bills have left, the five games. Bills are at four and seven. I'm smelling seven and nine at the end of the year. What are you thinking right now?
0: I had it at six and 10 last week. I'm because I am encouraged by the quarterback's play. I will add a victory from last week's. And it's not because I didn't think they'd beat the Jags. I felt like they had a legitimate chance of winning this one. But I'll add one to to last week's count and I'll take them up to seven and nine as well. If If this team, now it's to the point though, man, honestly, where there is a potentially successful season as it relates to the record. Get to eight and eight. All right. Find a way to do that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna feel pretty damn good about this season, to tell you the truth.
1: Sure. Now the Bills beating Jacksonville made for a fun day. But the Buffalo Sabres, on the other hand, that's been a fun couple of weeks. They've won nine in a row now they're on fire. Fandemonium is definitely catching on again. You know, I saw some videos on Saturday night, Buffalo defeated Detroit in a shootout. And one of the videos I saw on Twitter was at the world's largest disco downtown in Buffalo. And I mean, you've been there before. You know how it is. That place is mob. There's thousands of people there. Well, they stopped the music and they put on the large screen TV, the Sabres shootout. And when Sam Reinhart scored that game winner, crowd absolutely exploded. It was amazing. Did you see that?
0: I saw it, man. It was it was fun. I was kind of experiencing it myself. I was at a hockey rink for a for a Suns game. And people were just gathered around their phones. There was, I think there was a television in the joint, but it was down or something like that. So everyone, like, people were on the, uh, like, crowds of people were around phones, you know, that had a decent stream of the uh, of the shootout. Uh, I heard someone was on the phone with somebody, you know, getting play-by-play, you know, after each shot. I yeah. was just like, you got to fucking be kidding me right now. I mean, I haven't seen it like that in forever. But yeah, I saw the the one from the from the world's largest disco. I t- I'll tell you, nobody celebrates their fucking youth and what they used to be, quite like Buffalo. You've got, <laughs> you got you've got some 50-year-olds at that, that disco man that just love to remember when they were fucking. 18. Oh dude,
1: I still try to find oh every God. 80s party imaginable. I want to have an 80s party. Um we're gonna talk about 80s music later on in this segment. So I hear you on that. So a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, we were talking about the Sabres having a very difficult stretch of games where we expected them to come down to earth. Obviously that hasn't happened. They've won nine in a row now, but now they're faced with another crazy stretch of games. That starts Tuesday. They got San Jose at home. They're at Tampa on Thursday, which I'll probably, or at least hopefully be at that game at Florida Friday at Nashville next Monday. And then at home against Toronto the following Tuesday. I mean, that sounds Murderous, Like I said, we talked that same tune two weeks ago and the Sabres proved us wrong. How serious should we be taking this team right now? And how serious should the rest of the league be taking this team right now? I think
0: both their fans and, you know, the rest of the NHL should be taking them as a serious playoff contender. If I had to, much the way we just did with the Bills, you know, last week I said I had them finishing at six and ten, and I I bumped them up to seven and nine. If you put it to me that I had to tell you what I think is, you know, the Sabers are going to do, I'm going to have them make the playoffs as a wild card. I I still think teams like Toronto and Tampa Bay will be two of the teams that come out of the uh, out of the division. You know, it's it's hard for me to to think that that a very good Boston team won't find their way to the third spot uh, as far as the three division teams are concerned. But I I, I would predict them to uh, to be in the playoffs and get their beak wet. And if if Bottero goes for it, you know maybe uh, maybe they do more than get their beak wet. But I, I believe this is real. I believe they'll start to lose some of these coin flip games that they're winning right now. It'll, it'll, uh, it'll even out a little bit, but at the end, you know, they'll, they'll still be overmatched uh, as, you know, very young and inexperienced guys, uh, you know, come, come those grueling April series.
1: They're just fun as hell to watch right now. That's the bottom line. Been a long time since I've made Sabres games appointment TV, but that's pretty much what it's starting to turn into for me anyway. What about Jack Eichel? As of Sunday night, he's tied for third in the league in assists and tied for eighth in points. Do you feel like he and Skinner, I mean, listen, we could have an entire podcast about Skinner, 18 goals, he's just been out of this world right now. But you take those two, you throw them together, are you looking at the most exciting pairing in Buffalo since maybe Pat LaFontaine and Alexander McGilney?
0: That's where I was going to go with it. Absolutely. I mean, that was a different era, so... Right. You know, like, Mogilny was scoring, you know, seventy or some ridiculous, and LaFontaine was racking up hundred fifty points. But for today's, uh, you know, type of game and the way that they're stepping onto the scene, yeah, man, it, you know, it's funny, but it's it's like the opposite this time around. Like uh, if you were to use the the LaFontaine and McGillney analogy, the winger in Mogilny was the You know the Saber property that uh, that you know that every that was highly touted, and the center was the traded for. Mm -hmm. And in the case of Skinner and 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 Eichel, it's the opposite. You know the center came through, the franchise, and and uh, the winger was the trade. But yeah, man, there's some fun comparisons there, and uh, and I'm sure there'll be there'll be more to make because no one saw this coming. We may have seen an improvement coming, but. No one saw this coming.
1: What about the prize rookie, Rasmus Darlene? As of Sunday night, 20th among defensemen in scoring, but he is tied for second among all rookie skaters with 13 points. He's at about 19 minutes per night, which is only third among the Sabre Blue Liners, way behind Rissa and a little bit behind Jake McCabe. Do you feel like Phil Hosley's doing a good job of bringing him along somewhat slowly, or do you feel like Rasmus Darlene is a kid that's already in the heart of his development where he could play Rasmus Rissolane in minutes, which is about 25 minutes per night. What do you think?
0: 100% I think cosley has been absolutely spot on with, uh, with how to treat Darlene. Um, you know, third pair of minutes as he just builds up to the grind. He, you know, he's made some, uh, made some plays on the power play. He breaks out exceptionally well. Uh, he is as advertised, man, you know, Plain and simple, he is as
1: advertised. You mentioned Jason Botterell, the Sabres GM, a few minutes ago. I mean, I can't believe I'm even going here with this as we end November, getting into December. But the NHL trade deadline will be coming at the end of February. And as things stand right now and at this rate, could you see the Sabres being buyers at the trade deadline? That feels funny to even say the word Sabres and buyers in the same sentence, but I mean, they very well could be in the playoff mix and they also have three first round picks for next summer. So they certainly have the ammunition to move up. Can the Sabres become buyers in February? I think,
0: you know, look, this, it's a this, weird this,
1: conversation.
0: Ain't it? it? It is, <laughs> but I've already, I've already, believe me, I've already thought it. This league is so freaking close Uh, you know all the teams are so close to each other you know you you got so many games that turn into three-point games you know because somebody gets the loser point and shit like that you have it's almost to where you are doing such a disservice that if you are in a position to to go for it you don't you know what I mean? I, I mean, it's just, I'm sure, Jason, look, we we have seen what Botterill is. Botterill is a patient motherfucker. He, I mean, you want to talk about suffering or like, you know, like Regeer used or the process like uh, like McDermott used. Imagine being Jason Botterill last year, okay? I mean, he sat through it uh, just an awful freaking season of hockey so that he could really truly assess what he had dude is patient as hell all right and I doubt that he ever saw himself uh in a scenario where he would be you know trading off those number ones that he acquired going into this season for some sort of you know they might've traded him off maybe in an off season or something like that, but in season trades, because he just couldn't help, but go for it. I don't think he ever saw it coming and we're certainly not there yet, but you know, the parody in this league and you know, just the, the way, you know, the puck luck, if you will, involved in, uh, in success in this, uh, in this sport, it's, it's, it's almost negligent, man. When yep. you have the assets, all right, and you're on a fucking storybook sort of, you know, you're in the middle of a storybook season to not go for it. You have to go for it. You have to go for it. No matter how young they are, man, you never know when you're going to be there again. You you've, you've got to pounce. So if if they if they happen to be, all right. In a in a, uh, a playoff spot where they're, you know, one of the three in the division sort of thing. And they are clearly going to be in the playoffs. And now we're starting to think about what they could do once they got there. Boy, you don't you don't want to leave those fucking uh, those three number ones in your pocket in a in a season like that.
1: It'll be interesting to see unfold for sure. All right, let's switch gears as we've done the last couple weeks. Let's do a This Week in 80s Music. And for this segment, we're going to do top 10 songs for the weekend in November 27th, 1982, which was 36 years ago. Looked it up real quick, a couple things that were going around the world back then. E.T., number one movie in America. Dallas, the top rated show on TV. Cal Ripken was named AL Rookie of the Year. Again, late November, 1982, that put you at what around ten years old?
0: Yeah, about ten. Yeah. Yeah, ten. I was born in 72, so I was ten. I was, you know, I was just starting to uh just starting to drink, probably.
1: You know <laughs> what I mean? That was, you know what I remember I remember so that I was age. Only, I was only smoking a pack a day then. <laughs> yeah, you know what though, man? On the west side, half the west side was probably smoking a pack a day. At least by high school, if not <laughs> ten years old. All right. So anyway, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fly through the top 10 songs. And again, week ending November 27th, 1982. Coming in then at number 10, and I really love this song a lot. Don Henley, "Dirty Laundry."
0: Great song. Still in the. I'm telling you, it's in. It's in the. Uh, it's in the Spotify rotation.
1: <laughs> number nine, "The Girl Is Mine."
0: That's why you fucking picked this. This.
1: I did not, but obviously I love that song. Dude, Michael and Paul were the shit together. Number eight, "Stepping Out by Joe Jackson. Not a very mainstream 80s song.
0: It's on my list. It's on my playlist. Of course it is. Why wouldn't it be?
1: All right, number seven, and this was a monster hit in the 80s. It was at seven this week, Maneater by Holland Oates.
0: Was that when Maneater was... On its way to one or falling back from one? You know what? I, I'd
1: have to look. I, Because Man know Eater was
0: at like one forever. Like that totally yeah. creepy fucking H2O album cover. Like that was a, a great album. Big,
1: oh my God, yeah. That was a great album. Number you six. Said, leave me alone.
0: <laughs> I'm a family man. And my back is much worse than my bite.
1: Number six. This was another song that I'm sure hit number one at some point. Mickey by Tony Basil. Absolutely hated that song, by the way, but that was number six.
0: It must have been a good. There must be a story about a chick who dissed you or something behind
1: that. <laughs> number it's five, I guarantee you. it number is.
0: F- it's Mickey from high school. That's why you hate that
1: song. Uh, no, no, it's not. Number five, <laughs> and I know you're gonna like this one. This is this has got you written all over it. Neil Diamond, Heartlight, number five. Turn on your heart light the middle of a young boy's dream. Don't make me up too soon. Boy, oh boy, you are a stunning vocalist. By the way, as you were singing, I did look it up. Maneater was on its way up. It hadn't reached number one yet. Eventually it would. Number four, this song was on its way down. This song also reached number one. A huge hit back then. Up Where We Belong by Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warnes. Oh yes. Yep. Number three holding still was Olivia Newton, John heart attack, dude. I fucking loved Olivia Newton, John, my first obsession, literally my first obsession. She was my first real crush. Absolutely obsessed with Olivia.
0: Yeah. You and a lot of, uh, you know, 10 year old boys at the time. I think that, uh, that really probably propelled, that absolutely fucking terrible song to be number three <laughs> uh, at any at any point in time. <laughs> I mean, that is awful.
1: Yeah, I hear you. She was so so hot though. All right, number two. This song held steady in the charts. "Gloria" by Laura Branigan. By the way, very underrated '80s song. Love that jam.
0: Great song on the on the playlist.
1: All right, and the number one song for the week ending November 27th, 1982, it was its second straight week on top, our boy Lionel Richie with Truly.
0: Oh, sorry, I was reading something. <laughs> That's a good song. <laughs> That's a good song. I probably should have broken the, broken the lyrics there, but I've, I've already given you two or three. That's enough for today.
1: Yeah, we've had more than enough of your singing. Okay, as we wind down, like we do every week, time for your final take. We like to call it the puck drop. What do you got for this week?
0: Well, you know, my puck drop this week, man, is uh, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, the the offensive tackle in football. You know, you don't know that he's really having a good game unless you hear him hear his name for holding uh, at some point along the way. And I think that might be true of uh, of our franchise's current owners because uh, they haven't really been in the spotlight. You know very much lately because you know people don't hate their uh, their business ventures as much as they used to. Myself included, I have been real hard on this couple, uh, Terry Pagula in particular, and I continue to think you know the the less he talks, the the better. As it you know resurfaced uh, a couple of weeks ago with you know Eric Reed, you know kind of rehashing <laughs> some of the minutes from that that anthem protest meeting that, uh, that they had with the owners, but, you know, as far as the job that they are doing with their, uh, with their businesses, uh, the Sabres and Bills in particular, and, you know, I mean, they, it's, their scope goes far beyond that in terms of, you know, teams that they, they own, they're doing a nice job, man. You know, they're doing a nice job. The, the Labatt Brewery just went up. They're moving their offices in there. They're obviously, you know, plotting for, for what many suspect is going to be something big, you know, downtown, at least an announcement wise, probably within the next five years. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe more than that uh, in the next 10, you know, they, they just, they, they really care about being sports owners. They do a good job with uh, with uh, M- Michelle uh, Girardi. I don't. What's her name again? I, it's I, Michelle Girardi. Confused. You got it. Yeah, wait. I mean that's pretty good stuff. You know the 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 in game uh, experience with the Sabers could stand to be a little bit better, but you know they're they're good sports owners, and they seem like they may have gotten. The important hires necessary to uh, to roll their sleeves up and make their products on the field, you know, uh, perform far better than they have, uh, you know, within their first whatever it's been five or ten years of uh, of ownership, they seem to have tapped at least on the hockey side one guy who really knows what he's doing, and uh, and I still have hope for for Brandon Bean as well. So you know, look if you're gonna beat the Pagoulas up. In the uh, in the trying times, you know, it, it is worth recognizing, you know, some of what they've done and and continue to do for you know for the area. And now we're starting to get some W's to go with it, man. So if if that happens, if they can start to you know put these two franchises in a, in a good light on the field, they've certainly done it off of it. And kudos to them, man. Let's 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 keep this train rolling.
1: All right. I can feel that some love for the Bagulas. I think it's much deserved right now. I'm going to keep my pat peeve of the week relatively short. I cannot stand people, especially media people who use the hashtag PayJeffSkinner Jeff Skinner anytime they address Buffalo Sabres for Jeff Skinner on Twitter. Cannot stand it. Look, I don't care if you're Terry Bagula, Kim Bagula, Jason Botterill, Housley, whether you're watching the game in the 300s whether you're watching the game at the bar, everyone in the world already knows that Jeff Skinner is going to get paid massively sometime within the next few months or at worst during the summer. It's not a mystery. Everyone already knows it. I like hashtags. I use them myself, but be a little more creative when it comes to them. Pay Jeff Skinner has got to be the most rhetorical Twitter hashtag ever. And I just, I don't know, man, I absolutely hate it. So if you're out there doing it, please stop. Last thing, last piece of business here. As always, we end with the shout out this week. My shout out is going to go to Washington Redskin rookie receiver, Trey Quinn. He scored a touchdown on Thanksgiving against Dallas. And, you know, in an era where all these cool celebrations, I thought he had the best one yet. My favorite show of all time. The Office, he paid homage to it, and he also paid homage to the best character within a character, Michael Skarn. He did the Michael Skarn dance from Threat Level Midnight. Coolest touchdown celebration ever, at least in my book anyway. Tony, you got anyone that you want to give a shout out to?
0: No. Dynamite drop in money. That broadcast school has really paid off.
1: You are such a loser. Loser, you're a loser.
0: More analytics LVP.
1: So if you want a textbook definition of what a scapegoat is, look no further than the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. I don't know if it's Doug Marone or Tom Coughlin that ultimately made the call. But on Monday, Jaguars management made the decision to fire offensive coordinator Nate Hackett. Clearly a scapegoat for all Jacksonville's woes this season. Jacksonville, of course, lost to Buffalo on Sunday. Their seven straight loss and three and eight on the season. Just a complete nightmare 2018 campaign. Of course, they came into the season expected by many to contend for the AFC championship, including myself. Shit, I mean, hell, they were 10 minutes away from going to the Super Bowl last year. So it's been a very disappointing and underachieving season for Jacksonville. But why fire Nate Hackett? I just don't get that. It just feels like a big scapegoat move to me. Try to appease the fans by doing something. Just doesn't work for me. I mean, at the end of the day, is Nate Hackett the one that ordered Leonard Fournette to go running into the corner of the end zone and get into a fight with Shaq Lawson and get himself ejected? Is Nate Hackett the one that forced Leonard Fournette to get injured earlier this year and be without their best player? Is Nate Hackett the one who rolls into Doug Marone's office every Monday and demands that the team continuously rolls with Blake Bortles, who's one of the worst quarterbacks, maybe the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. I mean, that dude's just trash. If you watched that Buffalo-Jacksonville game on Sunday, you saw it. Just absolutely awful. And Bortles did get benched on Monday. Jacksonville announced that Cody Kessler is the new starting quarterback and Bortles would go to the bench. He still got a job. Bortles still has a job. I don't know, man. For me, Nate Hackett is not the problem with the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. Nate Hackett's not the reason. Jacksonville's three and eight. He's just a scapegoat. That's what he is, a scapegoat. Bench Blake Bortles on Monday. That's not enough. Doug Marone, Tom Coughlin, whoever's responsible in that Jacksonville organization, whichever one of them made the decision, that Nate Hackett should take the fall because Blake Bortles is the absolute worst. Runaway winner, Moranalytics LVP. Just stupid.
0: Moranalytics MVP.
1: You the real MVP. All right, if I can indulge you for a minute here, my Moranalytics MVP for this week is my beautiful daughter, Madison. As many of you know, I live down in Florida with my wife and my younger son, while my older daughter, she remains in Buffalo. She goes to college up there, has a couple jobs, a lot of things going on, so she still lives in Buffalo. Anyway, my wife's family, who I'm very close to, I mean, I've known them for 20 years now, they got to come down to Florida and celebrate Thanksgiving with us, which was amazing because they've never been able to all come down here at the same time. So we had her parents, her sister, her sister's husband, and their two children. They had dinner with us, along with very close family friend, UB graduate, Buffalo native, Damone Harris, rookie for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and his girlfriend, and a couple of friends of ours from Florida. In fact, we had dinner at their house. So that in itself would have made for an incredible Thanksgiving. What I didn't know is that my daughter schemed up a plan and she came down with my wife's family. I mean, we're all family. She came down with them and she surprised us. I had no clue that she was coming down. Got me completely emotional. I was so happy to see her. It made my day. It made my Thanksgiving. It made my week. It just made me very happy. Runaway winner this week, my Moral analytics MVP, my daughter. Love you, baby. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Big thank you, as always, to my buddy, Tone Pucks. Have with Pucks, something we do almost every Tuesday. Love doing it. And it's a lot more fun when Buffalo sports teams are winning. That's certainly the case right now. We got a big win from the Bills this weekend. The Sabres may never lose again. And you know what? We didn't even hit on UB. And their football team's play for a championship, and the basketball team's ranked. What a great time to be a Buffalo sports fan. Always a good time talking Buffalo sports, sports in general, 80s music, things like that with my buddy. Coming up on the podcast on Friday's show, I'll be joined by Rochester sports reporter Jenna Cottrell. I mean, listen, if you want to talk about a story of perseverance, this beautiful, talented young lady... She's been through a lot. We're going to hit on all that. We're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills, bunch of other stuff like that. Really looking forward to doing that on Friday. My friends, if you haven't done so already, I don't even know what's wrong with you at this point. Will you please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called, and subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. Just get on your phone. Search it on your app. We're analytics Podcast. Hit the subscribe button. You don't got to do anything else. New episodes automatically can send right to your phone or to your computer. You can play them and keep them. You can play them and delete them after. Do whatever you want to do. And if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can also subscribe on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere future or one-winning podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pamorant Have a nice, safe week. Enjoy it. And I'll talk to you guys again on Friday. We're done here.